devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. something incredibly wholesome despite this year being a total shit show (laughs) and i think that more people need to watch this thing because there is just uh it's just goodness all around there's nothing there's nothing negative about it and it's called the great british bake-off have you ever watched this um, I do have an affinity for cooking shows, but I've never watched The Great British Bake Off. I've heard about it, though. It does so here, sound very uh, calm and relaxing and wholesome. It is the calmest show I've ever seen in my life. And it's great because it's it it, it highlights how awful American competitive shows are. Like, <laughs> how much That's... dicks we are. Like, when you watch it, you're like, they're so wholesome. Even when they're mad at each other, they're like, it's all right. <laughs> Like, like there was they just they just started the eighth season and it's on um on Netflix now and on the episode one of the women knocked out knocked down all of the ups- pineapple upside down cakes from this one guy right as they were going into the final part and she started crying and he's like it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine and uh, so was would they mad. be pineapple right side up cakes yeah point? they were yeah it was <laughs> pineapple on the bottom hiyo woo that is the type of comedy that our Patreon subscribers pay so dearly for. So she knocked. So is she knocked all the 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 pineapple upside down, right side up cakes, and he was just like, "It's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine." And uh, and then she won the competition, and she was sad she won because she sabotaged this guy. <laughs> so wrought up. It was so like it was just so wholesome. It was like such a genuine reaction. And then they had to make busts of their heroes, like cake busts. Hmm. And uh, one of them made Tom DeLong, <laughs> the guy that got his pineapple upside down cakes thrown away around. He made Tom DeLong, and he made the cake was like fucking cherry and mint, and they were like, "That's too much. That's too much mint." It was like the colors on the self titled record that like neon green and neon pink color. Yeah. Um, and it was horrendous. <laughs> it's kind of like how Tom DeLong is a bit too much at this point. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't even I don't even like his music. I just you know I, I, I like it. He's a he's a ufologist. Ufologist. <laughs> yeah, he's to to, to the stars. <laughs> to the stars academy. So anyway, it, it's just a super wholesome show, and it's great because like when they fight, like when they're done with their stuff, they go help each other. Like wow. whereas in American, they would like just poison each yeah, other. You watch Top Chef, and they're basically just stabbing each other in the throat when when the camera's not on. <laughs> Yeah, like there, there is a show called Cutthroat Kitchen, which is the entire idea is to sabotage somebody else, like to make their life hell. I can't, I can't fucking watch that. Like I'll watch, I'll watch uh, Kitchen Nightmares. I do like Gordon Ramsay, even though he is just, he's just so fucking awful to people. But uh, uh-huh. you know, uh, Good Eats and Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives. It's it's fun. You learn something. You learn to cook something, and it's nice. It's nice. And Guy Fieri is just, he's so complimentary of everybody. I don't think I've ever seen him eat at a place and say it sucked. No, and he's like, the, he's like super nice. Like, he's a super great guy. I don't know why he gets so much shit. I don't know either. I never ate, I mean, I would never eat at his fucking restaurant, but. No, I mean, unless I wanted to die. 
Like, unless I wanted my heart stopped right, right then, like, then, yes, I would eat there. He's serving, like, fried cronuts stuffed with nacho cheese on a flip-flop. Yeah, yeah, but then that's poured out of a bucket. <laughs> like, his bucket of nachos is insane. Like, he assembles nachos, for those of you who don't know, he assembles nachos in a bucket with all the nacho toppings, like, in a legitimate bucket, and then dumps it on your table when you order it. Yeah, he doesn't even bother to take the beach sand out of it. Nope. He just goes, here you go! And then just drops it. Eat that, you fat piece of shit! <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you! It's a, it's a really strange restaurant, and also it's 15,000 calories. <laughs> it's going to be funny. It's probably in the next decade, a lot of these like travel food people like Adam Richman and Guy Fieri are just going to start dropping dead of massive heart attacks. You can't eat too many quadruple decker uh, Monte Cristos. Is that your body just can't fucking take it? It's not you like you're not human if you if you eat like that and eat like that regularly. I saw Adam Richmond on like uh, like was it Hot Ones or something? And yeah, he yeah. has he has let himself go. Like it's all caught up with him. Like all the calories that he consumed that he wasn't like that he didn't plump up from from the show. Like they all caught up to him. Like it's like like thirty thousand calories hit him at the same time. He does have a superb knowledge of food, though. I like listening to him talk about it. But, yeah, and hip hop. I yeah, and hip hop. I I did read somewhere though that that's how you know an empire is in decline when chefs and uh, food critics are now deified. So it tracks, oh. man. It totally tracks. Yeah, we are well on the way. I just like watching food shows because it makes me like forget. About, I mean, because because I like to cook. I, I mean, I'm not super great at it, but I do like to cook. It's relaxing. It's fun, and I like to watch other people cook. If they have a personality like, you know, Alton Brown or somebody. Plus, I learned something. So yeah. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it really means we're in decline, but I mean, I think we actually are in decline. So, yeah. I mean, we've got two people with uh, brain damage debate, like screaming at each other today. I, wa- <laughs> I wish like right now we're recording this in the middle of the presidential debate and I just I'm not going to watch it. But I just picture them just going, no, no, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> Everything, everything that sucked in the last four years was your fault. Everything that sucked in the last four years was your fault. Applause break. Local reference. I can't deal with it, man. I just can't fucking listen to it. Well, well, speaking of the horror of the presidential debate, that's going to lead us nicely into the month of October and our first Halloween episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Don't Want to Hear It. I'm Mikey. And I'm Shane. Shane's. That's what zombies say when they see me. We are so psyched that it's October. It's actually, well, October is actually like one day away. But when you hear this, it'll be October. And we're psyched to do some Halloween content for the entire month. I've just been waiting for it. It's my favorite time of year. Yeah, no, it's great. This is the best time of year. This is the best time of year. Did you see that Home Depot has a 12-foot skeleton that you can buy? <laughs> I did. That is wild. I was literally an hour away from going to buy that. Like, I was stopped, <laughs> but I almost went to get it just because I could. And I was going to put it in my front yard and surprise everybody. <laughs> Did you see? There was something online. I saw an article where there was somebody, or no, it was on Reddit, where someone got a bunch of skeletons and posed them as if they were climbing all over their house. Yes. <laughs> the That's demented the mind that did that. I mean, that that was just great. That was perfect. I, I saw somebody set up a presidential debate in their front yard <laughs> with skeletons. So, you know, it's all it's this it's all relative, I guess. Fear is relative. Everybody's just driving by like, "Oh no! No! Oh god! How can it be happening again so soon?" 
<laughs> no! Yeah, no, it's great. I uh, the Halloween is my favorite, and um, you know, I am gonna try to continue my tradition of dressing as lazily as I possibly can. Um, every year, I've dressed as like the laziest person, like the, I have the laziest costume ever. Um, like one year, I just went as Bruce Banner. I didn't go as the Hulk. I went as Bruce Banner. <laughs> um, but I went as Bruce Banner because I was a nervous scientist. <laughs> Well, you could go as him. You could just, you know, stretch your clothes out and go post transformation, Bruce Banner. Yeah, I'm just tired now. <laughs> I'm exhausted from working all it, like from smashing things at work. I also one year went as um, I was Frankie Krueger. I was Freddy Krueger's nicer <laughs> older brother. Yeah, I remember you telling me. Yeah, and that. I would just apologize to people. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about my brother. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about Fred. Yeah, just, just he had a for, lot of problems, you know. I know that doesn't make up for all the, the children he murdered, but you know he's, he's he's a complicated guy. The rest of the family's not really like that. <laughs> so. Really likable people when you get down to it. Even though our mom is a ghost nun who was raped by ninety nine or a thousand maniacs. <laughs> Wait a second, is that a real? Is that part of the lore? Uh, I believe it's canon in um five four or five i don't know it's been a long time since i watched all those movies but it's uh it's either not a thousand it's son of a hundred maniacs is what they called him so uh that's when you get deep into it and it just it's it's bullshit and it doesn't make any sense and they start talking about the dream demons that gave him his power so it's just, oh yeah there's no point to it yeah we don't need to get into kruger lore right now no 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 but what we do need to get into is we haven't done one in so long forgotten freshness whoop whoop you're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. <laughs> Music is my life. My Forgotten Freshness for this week is a punk rock band from Ottawa. Ottawa, Ontario. They began in 2009, and they are still going strong. The band's name is Crusades. Oh, yeah. I remember this band. Oh, yeah. Crusades. I would say Crusades is appropriate for any time of year, but this time of year especially. I wouldn't, And they're not horror punk. I know this is we're, we're doing Halloween shit right now. They're not horror punk, but they're very dark like a darkness that's less teenagers from Mars and much more LaVey and Satanism. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> there's, de- I mean, there's definitely, it's not your average punk band. It's, it's, it's very dark. Um, and I don't know if they're actually LaVey and Satanists. I, I doubt they're medieval Satanists, but they're definitely atheists bordering, I believe on anti-Christian and they use a lot of dark imagery to get the point across. Um, but even with all that weightiness, they they play incredibly catchy punk rock. So um, the first self-titled EP came out in 2010, and it was included. So you don't really need to get that unless you're some kind of a weird collector. But uh, it was included uh, at the end of their debut 2011 LP, The Sun is Down and the Night is Riding In. So you get uh, the first two releases on one if you get that. And uh, I think it's a great starting point for the band. The the songs are, like I said, dark, but they're kind of emotional, too. Yeah. Very I would emotional. Agree. Very memorable. Very cool uh, chord progressions. Not your average type of thing. Um, uh, the Parables 7-inch came out in 2012. That's two songs, but they're well worth it. They're really good. 
And in the second LP, perhaps you deliver this judgment with greater fear than I receive it in 2013. <laughs> All right. I feel like these guys might suck to talk to because just like uh, a lot of vegans and atheists and political people and religious people, I, I don't I can't listen to them for very long. Well, did you know? That's okay. Yeah, all so, right, that's fine. After a bit of a hiatus, uh, the band released their latest LP, This Is a Sickness, and Sickness Will End in 2017, and the same year they did a split single with Off With Their Heads. Crusade's side <laughs> was titled, Your Child Is Dead. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, honestly, I, I, I <laughs> love right. this band, and I, I listened to the two LPs again the other day. I, I used to listen to them quite a lot, but I haven't listened to them in a while. If you're really only in the market for something like The Misfits or some of that B-movie sort of uh, traditional punk, like, uh, I guess, The Lillingtons or something like that, before The Lillingtons went all weird and goth, uh-huh. um, Crusades is not that band. You know, but if you want something a little deeper, a little more serious, but still, uh, I guess, spooky-ooky in a, in a, in a kind of way, I would definitely check them out. Some of the dudes from Crusades were in this band called The Creeps, which I would say is a little more accessible, and they had some dark subject matter, but they they were definitely, um, they were a great band, and I actually got to see them at Prefest, oh, God, probably like five years ago in Ybor City. Yeah, so I, I found out about these bands through Kareem because Kareem, I remember hanging out with him a lot at that point, and the Crusades and Creep stuff didn't leave the CD player in his car for fucking months. But uh, that's that's great to know. Yeah, they're really good bands. I would say check out those first two LPs. Uh, Crusades. All right. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> Um, so my band is, it doesn't, they don't sound spooky, but they kind of had some spooky themes and we saw them, um, we saw them once, um, at a really bizarre show and we, I want to say a few of our friends were really super psyched about them, but I don't remember anybody really talking about them because I think they were just like, they were kind of like a poppier punk band at the time. But my band for Forgotten Freshness is a band called Affront. A word. Yeah, so um, not the affront that you find on Spotify. That band is bullshit. This is a different affront. This band started in 1998 and broke up in 2003, so they were only a band for five years. They are from Washington, D.C. Um, they started with uh, their first demo tape, which was called The Demo Tape of Death, which is like when you listen to them, you're like, okay, they're like a goofy – like some of it's goofy and like, um, you know, they – their their one LP that I really dig is is super melodic. It makes some references like uh, it. They open one song with the Ghostbusters quote that talks about the dead have been rising from the grave, like that whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, some of the stuff is pretty on the nose. But they put out a full length called "People Who Live in Glass Houses," and that's when we saw them on this tour. Yeah, and I love that record. Yeah, that record is a lot of fun. It's just super catchy. Um, I just listened to it right before we started the podcast and a we had about like 20 minutes before we were going to start and i listened to all of it before we were supposed to start um so it's a nice and easy listen um they put out a another full length called when death won't kill you which was some re-recorded songs from uh people who live in glass houses and it, it just wasn't as good so if you get a chance to find any of their stuff anywhere people who live in glass houses is the cd um they also put out some singles and eps they had the fallen stars ep they had relationship um that seven inch and they had the uh the the 
the song uh, You Make a Good Looking Corpse, or You'd Make a Good Looking Corpse, um, which came out right before When Death Won't Kill You. So um, I would say not all of those are required listens. I would say that people in glass, people who live in glass houses is, though. It's a fun listen. Um, super catchy. And, uh, yeah, that's – I mean – the only other thing I had to say about them is when we were in Richmond, we ran into the singer in a pizza shop, and he was super weird. He was in the middle of a relationship. Ah! Well, yeah, because that was 2003. Hey, man, when I was in yeah. uh, Richmond, I was in a, the middle of a relationship as well. Yeah, maybe that's just the city. Doesn't a front kind of, like, tread into AFI territory sometimes? Like They do a little bit. Like, yeah. they definitely, like, they do that Depeche Mode cover. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> all I ever wanted, all I ever needed is here in my arms. The song that everybody covers. Um, they do a pretty good cover of it though. I I would say that. Like I think it I think that's the only reason I was like, this song is good. I want to hear the version that it comes from. Nope. I don't want to hear that anymore. Hmm. I thought it was good. So anyway, a front. That's the band. That's the band. Alright, so do you want to get into these lists? Let's do it. <laughs> You're going to start the killing. You best start it right here. Make sure I'm all the way dead. And I will come back and make you my bitch. <laughs> So I'm going to start with something that I did not expect to put on my list, but it I've been looking forward to it because I thought it was an interesting take on a thing. Um, and because I am such a uh, horror movie fanatic, I thought that this would be a really great entry. So my number five is the movie New Mutants. It's out in theaters now. Mm. Do you know what New Mutants is? Uh, I'm assuming this is like X-Men affiliated. So it is X-Men affiliated, um, except it is the uh, the first dive into superhero horror movies. Hmm. And um, yeah, I don't think that you would like it. But here's what I'm going <laughs> to say about it. Uh, so the story goes like this. You've got uh, Danielle Danny Moonstar, who is a, uh, a Cheyenne Native American. She wakes up in a mental institute. Um handcuffed to a a bed and being treated by a doctor, Dr. Cecilia Reyes. Um, and with no explanation of how she get there, other got there other than her entire tribe is dead. Bummer. Yeah. Super bummer. She's the last of her tribe. Um, and Oh, and so in the beginning of the movie, you see her father die. She's the last one to die. (laughs) Is back. (laughs) The voice is back. Call Um, back. Call back. Call back. Yeah. So, um, the, so the story takes place in this ment- – like the whole thing takes place in this like psychiatric facility. And it's like yeah. designed to be kind of creepy in like in, – in the idea that it is one of the old-timey ones. So like there's weird doors and weird corridors and all that. But when she gets there, there are other mutants there. There's Sam Guthrie. There's Ilana uh, Rasputin. There's Roberto DaCosta. And there's Rain Sinclair. So they end up being the mutants um, Cannonball. Uh, magic who magic is awesome. Magic is Colossus's sister and can open portals to hell. Mm. Okay. Uh, DaCosta is a, a mutant named Inferno. And then rain is uh, a mutant named Wolfsbane that turns into a wolf. Now what's really cool about all of these though, is like the idea is they got there because they did something. 
right? They didn't get there because they were like they were committed because they were mutants. They got there because let's say Wolfsbane was a, a Catholic girl in Scotland and murdered her child abuser. Um, let's say Magic was part of the Russian uh, sex trafficking ring and killed everybody that was around her. Um, mm. But they like explore these really dark things like um cannonball accidentally killed his dad in a coal mining accident and then inferno kills his girlfriend so like you have all these weird situations where they're all responsible for somebody's murder but moonstar who's like the main character you don't really know why she's there she's been running from this creature called the demon bear which also the fact that there's a character named a demon bear in a movie is great is, and, is it a, uh, does it uh tie into five nights at freddy's at the end is that is that the twist no no it doesn't that's the twist. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's a mechanical bear. So they do a really good job of like um some pretty intense like there's no there's not a lot of um uh jump scares or anything, but they do some pretty good graphics, like like some some graphic displays of violence in it. Um the, there's a Catholic priest in it gets torn up because of the wolf. I'm all um, for that. All stoked. Um there's a few things like that. One of my favorite things is there's um there is a, a scene where I, I won't spoil it for anybody, but basically this one person gets murdered and uh, one <laughs> of the characters picks up a boot and just pours blood out of it. So it's like, it's, it's, it's fun. It's not the best horror movie, but it's done really well. And the fact that it's a, a science fiction, like superhero movie that's done on a really small scale. There's only six actors in the whole movie. Oh, wow. There's seven actors in the whole movie, really. Like, you only see, like, seven main people. Uh, one of them being the uh, fireworks salesman from Joe Dirt. <laughs> he's he's the dad in it. Um, it uh, it's Kid Rock. Don't lie. It's Kid, Kid Rock. Rock. Yeah, Kid Rock is in the movie, and he's, and he's like, the star mutant. He just <laughs> his, his whole thing is he turns into, like, a Bud Light. <laughs> turns so, into a fucking pile of old cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> He's the, ugh, he's the My worst. name so, is Keith. And then he's just cigarettes. And then he's just cigarettes. He's an ashtray. <laughs> so, but he's like one of those glass ashtrays that you find in the 70s. Yeah. So, he so anyway, the movie is a lot of fun. It's not anything that is like uh like a a must watch or anything that's going to get like more than like 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, fuck um, them anyway. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, it's fine, but it is actually a lot of fun and it's really cool to see these characters um and just kind of the uh, the storytelling around it I think is good. I think it explores some pretty dark themes that are a lot of fun for movie movies like X-Men that are not really that dark. You know, the darkest person in all those would be Wolverine and his tragedy, but also Magneto and the fact that he was a Nazi hunter. Like, that's, like, the deepest it goes. Like, mm-hmm. this gets into some pretty heavy, like, gross territory. Did you say somebody was Rasputin? Uh, Magic. Her last name is Ilana, uh, Il- Iliana Rasputin. She related to the Mad Monk? Is that part of the mythos? Uh, it might be. I don't know enough about her. All I know is that her superpower is that she opens portals to hell and banishes people there. Like, she derives her power from hell. They need to do like uh like a fucking crazy psychedelic magical horror take on Rasputin and his life. I thought you were gonna say that Rasputin needed to be a mutant, which I was gonna say Santa Claus is the most powerful mutant in the X Men universe. <laughs> Wait back it up. What? <laughs> <laughs> so it is canon that Santa Claus is a mutant in the X-Men in the Marvel universe and that he is the most powerful mutant in the Marvel universe. How do they fucking how do they get the rights to to nab Santa Claus for their 
for their fucking team. That's ridiculous. I think it's lore. Like, I think, because, like, you know, you have, like, the Greek gods or, like, the Norse gods in both DC and Marvel. Like, they're both there. Well, I still think Rasputin should be the star of his own fucking wild action movie. And then there should also be a video game where you just murder demons with your yeah, eyes. Yeah, that would be, be rad. So I support that. Anyway, number five, New Mutants. Don't go see it, but whenever it comes out, watch it because it's fun. <laughs> it's not that great, but, you know. So coming in at number five on my list is a little trailer. And it did come out, I think, sometime this summer. But, you know, I, it's it's definitely the time to talk about it now. So okay. I've always been a big fan of the Halloween franchise. Uh, the first two, classic. Um, I even liked the, the bullshitty ones where they got into the cult. And Michael was, like, killing for some Celtic cult. It was really... I mean, it was stupid, but I liked it. I liked yeah. the ones like H2O when it was kind of like a Scream ripoff at that point. Yeah, Buster Rhymes was in it. <laughs> yeah, when Buster Rhymes uh, fought him in Resurrection using his karate skills, that was that was something. And <laughs> I even liked the Rob Zombie <laughs> ones. I, I, I do. I really do. Yeah. But what I'm talking about here is the new Halloween Kills trailer. I don't know if I've seen it. It's very short. Now, uh, like I said, the, the entire franchise is something that I really enjoy. However, I loved the 2018 Halloween. I loved it. It was I thought it was such a worthy actual sequel. See, it was like a retcon sequel. Did you see it? No, I didn't see that one, actually. Oh, my God, dude. You're missing out. It's like it made they made Michael Myers fucking terrifying and he hasn't been terrifying pretty much since the first one and to be scared you had to be like a teenager in the 70s because he's not right. scary. But so 2018's uh Halloween it was just called Halloween but it was a retcon sequel. It was directed by David Gordon Green and written <laughs> in part by fucking Danny McBride. <laughs> what? Yeah, he was one of the main writers. I think he was the writer of it, but you know, the I think the director was also credited as a writer on it. But, okay. Um, okay. What made it scary was they kind of brought it into the very realistic, into a very realistic setting, and he Michael was so fucking brutal in it. Like he was brutal in the Rob Zombie ones, especially in two. But it was yeah. still kind of cartoony. But this this the 2018 one is I think just a fantastic horror movie. So. Real quick before I get into the Halloween Kills part, in order to understand it, I got to just give you a little summation of the last movie. So, spoiler alert, here it comes. All right. So, this movie ignores the entire Halloween timeline past the original. So, Halloween 2, 3, all the bullshit, all the remakes, it just ignores everything. And it picks up 40 years after Michael's uh, you know, original killing spree in Haddonfield in 1978. They brought Jamie Lee Curtis back, even though they fucking killed her at the beginning of Resurrection, but this is a whole retcon thing, so that never actually happened, according to the actual timeline. So she's obviously still Laurie Strode. She's living in this, like, house that's been fortified to fuck and back out in the woods, and she's yeah. got PTSD from escaping Michael back in the, you know, in the set in 78, like, was that the boogeyman? Yes, my dear, I'm afraid it was. Yeah. And, uh... Ugh. You know, she's she, her she's got a daughter who has a family and a granddaughter, and there's this whole weird kind of 
pull and push and pull between them because, you know, obviously Laurie Strode doesn't want her daughter to be unprepared for bad things to happen, but the the daughter's kind of resentful of growing up in this in this this PTSD ridden world of Laurie Strode where she made her like learn to shoot guns and made her afraid of everything. So it's kind of an interesting take. Uh, they kind of get PTSD in there. Yeah. So basically, Michael's old, but he's still huge and crazy. And they uh, these true crime podcasters go out to Smith's Grove Sanitarium to interview him. And yada, yada, yada. Of course he gets out. Of course he goes back to Haddonfield. And he's just stabbing the shit out of people. Except in this movie, when Michael Myers stabs somebody, he's punching them with a knife. It's Oh, it God. Is, it is so fucking unnecessarily brutal. But <laughs> I guess at the same time, it does go a long way towards making the, the viewer understand, like, he's he's pure evil and he's somebody who doesn't feel anything and he's definitely somebody that you should be afraid of because right he's you know, a monster yeah he's he is literally a monster that's why they call him the shape in the first one he's credited as, as the shape but um and i think they even refer to him as the shape in this one so you know he does his usual murder spree and whatnot but the twist is and once again spoiler he manages to get to Lori's sort of fortified house she traps him in the basement burns the fucking house down so that's nice. how it ends all right and 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 you see michael standing there just cooking alive and you're like holy shit like i can't believe they fucking killed him but i should have known because i believe it was six they blew him up and he came back anyway he's yeah he's he's been on fire i don't know how many times so there's so much fire in these movies but they made it look so final and i was like if that is the only one they make if that's it then I'm fucking satisfied. Right. Because they really did it justice. But the Halloween Kills trailer, which is the sequel by the same people, Danny McBride, David Gordon Green, it opens and it's the last shot of the movie where the Strode women, because it's really about, it's honestly about the females in the movie. It's not this victim slasher type thing where the final girl screaming and running away and gets away just barely. Like Laurie Strode kicks the the shit out of michael myers and right. she's got her daughter she's got her granddaughter they escaped they triumphed and they're in the back of a truck driving away and then all of a sudden you hear the sirens and then all the ambulances and fire trucks are shooting by them in the opposite direction going back to Lori's house oh my god and she's going now let it burn and that's it and you know they're gonna put that fire out you know they're going to take that motherfucker to a hospital just like they did in Halloween 2. He's going to unzip his goddamn body bag and he's going to start killing nurses. That's exactly yeah. what's going to happen. But I'm psyched. It, 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 I, I just I can't wait. I love I love when they I love when something gets redone right. And then of course after Halloween Kills comes Halloween Ends. Halloween Kills 2021, Halloween Ends 2022. Same people, new trilogy. Psyched. Watch the trailer. It. Get psyched. All right. That's a good way to start these lists. We've got two movies that are terrifying for for different reasons. Well, I don't even think about running off down that road. It ain't going to do you damn bit good. I can tell you that right now. What are you going to do? Well, first, I'm going to kill you. It ain't no fucking biggie. Of course, it's different for every individual. My number four 
for is a band, and I would argue that this band is creepier and more fun than the Misfits when it comes to horror punk. Ooh. I'm going to make that argument, okay? Here's Fight why. They, well, yeah, but when I say it, you're going to be like, all right, I get it, maybe. Um, so, this band. Uh, consists of a variety of members. They've had so many members in their bands, like people like Jungle and Chopper and Sugar Pie Jones and Candy Del Mar and Fur Dixon and Touch Hazard and Click Mort and Kid Congo Powers and Julian Grindsnatch and, <laughs> and Pam Balam. But most importantly, they had Harry Drumdini and I feel like I know the two... Is. The two most famous of 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 this band are going to be Lux Interior and uh, Poison Ivy. My number four <laughs> is the Cramps. I got ninety six teeth with ninety six eyes. So that's that's his voice. Like if you ever want to listen to that, like there was a, I was listening to something about them, and he were saying that like basically how to get that vocal on that on that track because like he does that thing where he's like. Like buzzing, like, and they're like, How did you do that? He's like, I just blew out the speakers. So, (laughs) like, so they were, so they were credited for starting the psychobilly genre, which I've got a lot, I've got a lot of thoughts on the psychobilly genre, but they actually didn't coin the term. The, the, the term came from, um, some rockabilly guy that they had been listening to and they started kind of calling themselves psychobilly or they, it was on a flyer or something like that. that They're like, Psychobilly comes to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So what I really liked about this band, though, and what was cool about them is that when Lux Interior and Poison Ivy met, they stayed together. Like they were like that that high school sweetheart couple that just stayed together until Lux died, and then and then nobody has heard from Poison Ivy since then. She once he died, oh, yeah. she was gone. I forgot like, Lux Interior died. Yeah, he died in like two thousand nine or ten or something like that. I forget when he died, but when he died, they were done and she was gone. Like they, they you haven't heard a word from Poison Ivy in a decade. Wow. So, um, when they got together though, one of my favorite stories is that they were so into like rockabilly and like uh, some of the old timey stuff like that, like that they drove across the country from California to Tennessee or Nashville or wherever. Well, I think it was, it was somewhere in Nashville. Was Na- I think it was Nashville where they had like the, this record label that they really loved. It was all this rockabilly stuff. were selling all their vinyl for like. 50 cents and they mm. filled the back of a station wagon with it and then the station wagon broke down and they still had to like find out how to get all their records because they basically had no money like they <laughs> they just went to do because they were like so obsessed with it but the best part about this and one thing i really like about them is like style wise if you're not familiar with the cramps they're very like campy horror like that fun like 50s 60s like late night radio horror type of stuff like creature from the black lagoon yeah Yeah, like that's like their thing it's like they're just like over the top goofy horror now one thing that's really cool they got together they had these members of the band like kid congo was in it for a while and and like they're known for this certain certain style but like at some at some point in time poison ivy just got so sick of dealing with a bunch of musicians that she just started writing everything herself like so from I want to say it had to have been a date with Elvis which was their one full length all the way through Fiends of Dope Island in 2003 she wrote and played everything on the records. Wow. Like she is badass. Like so their 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 story is really cool like I said Lux Interior and Poison Ivy together like they've been together she was like 
before like the reason that they have like the look that they do and stuff is because she was like uh like she was hired as a, a, a dominatrix for a little while and like she did like that kind of sex work for a little bit and then was like brought that persona on stage and that's what you see out of poison ivy she's a fucking killer guitar player though um but the best thing is like when you go and look at their stuff like songs the lord taught us which was their first record in 1980 because they got together in 1976 um psychedelic jungle a date with elvis like those were their first few but then they recorded stay sick i love stay sick that's my favorite one of theirs because it's like very rock like rockabilly but they have the song um uh bikini girls with machine guns like it's very like goofy and campy and stuff like faster pussycat kill kill that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. um and then they had Look Ma, No Head, Flame Job, Big Beat from Badsville, and Fiends of Dope Island were like their main things. And they also had like live albums like Smell of Female, uh, Rock and Reelin', uh, Rock and Reelin in Auckland, New Zealand, uh, which was one of their live records. And then like the compilations like Off the Bone, which is what people know, like Off the Bone and Ma- Bad Music for Bad People, which had Human Fly and like most of the songs that people know from them. So, um, but I just love their style. Like I love that they're like that campy like goofy 60s 70s 80s type of like over the top horror and i think that's more fun to me like i think that that is a fun type of like just because there's no other band that really does it like them no i don't think so and i you know when it comes to psychobilly the modern shit that we think of is like the necromantics and tiger army and, and the cramps don't have that like they don't have that speed to their songs you know it's it's a groove it's it's almost a lot of it's like surf rock it's just like yeah. spooky and, and and funny. Well, and that's exactly it. Like when they were coming up, like surf rock was a big deal. So like that song Rumble that people like you know like when you hear it, you're like, okay, yeah. I know like that's you hear that sound, you're like, you've heard it in literally everything. Um and uh and you know, that's like what they took. They took that sound and they like turned it into this punk thing and like that's you know it, it just it was a lot of fun. So if you get a chance, I recommend Obviously, listen to the uh, Human Fly just to kind of get an idea because that song is just so that's like absolutely iconic. But go listen to Stay Sick in that record um, because the like the first three songs, the first four songs on it are fucking awesome. There's Bop Pills, Goddamn Rock and Roll, Bikini Girls with Machine Guns, and All Women Are Bad. <laughs> like it's in in you know it's it's a it's satire and it's like it's not meant to be what it is but like what it sounds like but it's just a lot of fun it's just a really great record yeah so, I like the that's my number four yeah um what i got i got i think i have songs the lord taught us uh, my i think my favorite probably one of my favorite cramps songs is uh teenage werewolf yeah dude <laughs> like teenage werewolf and, and like Lux Interior's voice is like so fun to listen to because you're like i can't believe he got away with it i feel like that's maybe where the guy from daughter started trying to imitate him but didn't do a good job of it blew his throat out <laughs> like yeah. like he just it's weird but it's it works it works for whatever they're doing yeah man icons yeah for real so that's my number four the cramps so for my number four it's not a movie but it's a screenplay Ooh, yeah i read a screenplay now why would you I've do been, that? Well, because, I don't know if I can tell you, I've been quite clear on my affinity for Ari Aster. You know, the guy who yeah. directed Hereditary Midsummer, films that upset me in the best way. I love his short films. I talked about him on a one-on-one before. My favorite being C'est La Vie, the monologue-heavy one where the psychotic homeless man takes you through a day in his life while he's killing people. 
but it's also very funny. Now, I read an interview that Ari Aster had like eight scripts before Hereditary, just you know, projects that he worked on, I guess, in film school, after film school, before he got his break, while he was doing short films. I, I, I don't know the official timeline. But um, he has, one of his short films was called Bo. And okay. I told you guys about it when uh, we talked about his short films. I think Matt was on that episode for some reason. I'm, I'm thinking that Matt was on that episode. But anyway, it's, uh, it's about a guy named Bo who's leaving for the airport. And he's... Uh, kind of rushing around and he opens his door, leaves his keys in his apartment door, his bag on the ground and he's about to lock up. But then he runs back in to get his dental floss. He comes back out and his keys are gone. His bag is gone. It's only been like 10 seconds and he doesn't, he can't see who took it. He doesn't know what's happening. And then he sort of just descends into paranoia and madness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of really kicks off right after he discovers his stuff is gone. And a guy walks down the hallway and just very aggressively goes, you're fucked, pal, and then keeps walking. And it's like one of those things where, you know, you, you got to wonder if someone who suffers from schizophrenia or something, if this is the type of shit that they go through, if they have like a full on hallucination, like, you know, where's my shit? Someone took it. I'm, uh, it, you know, people are out to get me. It's very, dis- it's very unsettling. So, right. Back to those eight scripts. One of them was Bo, but in a full-length feature format. So that oh, is... Oh, God. Yeah, that is my number four. It is the Bo is Afraid screenplay. And I will link it for anyone who wants to read it. Um, it took me literally two sittings, just zipped right through it. So it, it's, it starts with the short film. I, I, got, I get a feeling that he either may, he wrote the script from the short film or just took that scene and made it into a short film. I, I don't know which one, but... It's uh, the first few pages are almost identical, but then it goes into utter insanity to the point where it's like, is this actually happening? (laughs) Um, The only thing that we know as you read the script is that things get worse and worse for Bo, no matter what he does. And I'm not going to spoil really anything, but I will. (laughs) I'll throw a few little (laughs) details at you. Imagine getting locked outside of your apartment, you know, after what happens in the very beginning happens to you. Now you're locked out. You don't have your keys. Somehow you ventured outside. There's a lot of aggressive homeless people that congregate in front of your building and they manage to get inside the lobby and then upstairs and your apartment is open. However, you're locked out of the building. So imagine an army of aggressive, filthy, homeless people Running into your apartment and then having a drug orgy and destroying everything you own while you watch <laughs> from a tree that you've climbed across the street and you watch them destroy everything you own. Oh, well, they, they, that's called a soup kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it's a soup kitchen. <laughs> that's, uh, and, and that's just for starters. I haven't gotten to the paint drinking, the vengeance craze security guard. Or the orphans in the woods. Oh, God. Bo is Afraid is... it? it well, it's actually an orphan cult in the woods. Bo is Afraid is a mind-bending experience. But the script, for as outlandish as it is, it reads wonderfully. I mean, Ari Aster is a fantastic writer. And I don't usually... I'll read a script and you, you, you can't visualize it. It, it. it seems more static. And, and, and you, know, you need actors and a director to bring it to life. But it's it's a great story and it's very well written, 
and it, it just it has no rules it goes to all these different places so back in july of 2020 he was interviewed about what his next film was going to be because it's been um it's been a little over a year since midsummer came out and he okay. said that it was going to be a four-hour nightmare comedy <laughs> oh god and i don't want to speculate um probably the fact that it's been so circulated means he won't make it but Bo is afraid does kind of fit that the script is a normal length it's just like a normal hour and 20 minute movie but yeah. I don't. I mean, who knows what he could do? He could combine it with something else. Maybe he's got some other insane uh, script that takes pieces of this one. I don't know. But I will be uh, plunking my money down to see his next movie. I don't give a fuck how long it is, just because I love what he does. So I'll link the script, and it's scary, it's funny, it's absurd, and it's kind of disgusting in places. But you should definitely, if you like Ari Aster and you haven't read this, you should definitely read it. Well, and he's such a visual director, too, that, like, it's, you know, like, when you see his stuff, you're, like, it's visceral. Like, it's uncomfortable to watch. Like, yeah. I remember watching Sailor V, and I watched it a few times, and both times I was like, ah, like that. I did that a lot. Yeah, he he's able to, he, he's just, he's so creative with the things that he puts on the screen to upset you. It's not the normal run-of-the-mill things, you know, like. Who thought watching somebody be stitched up inside of a dead bear would be the thing that would give me nightmares? Yep, but uh, but here we are. So, anyway. no thanks. Or Tony Collette, you know, sawing her own head off. But you know, yeah. Oh God, that scene. <laughs> no thanks. Oh. Yeah, I was afraid. The script. I'll link it. Read it. People aren't willing to accept your solutions, Doctor, and I, for one, don't blame them. Every dead body that is not exterminated becomes one of them. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. So my number three is a band that it's my record for the the list, um, and it's a band and it's a scary band. It's, scary. Um, it's so scary, um, and they just for tales of litigation and tales of machinery and tales of all the things that go along that are like nightmare fuel for like post-apocalyptic futures. This band is that. So uh, a band formerly known as Ulceration. Mm. But now known as Fear Factory is my number three. Um, Dude, and Fear Factory? Yeah, Fear Factory. Why not? I thought you hated Fear Factory. No, I fucking love Fear Factory. Yeah, yeah D-Manufacturer is sick. Dude, every one of their records is sick. When they, listen, when they put out, I mean, I will say Digimortal is probably not <laughs> up there. Um, but my record, the one that I picked for this one is obsolete because that's the one that got me into them. So when obsolete came out, that's the one that had cars on it. And that's the, the hit you heard. But like I went and got it because of cars, but I fell in love with it because of songs like shock and edge crusher. (laughs) Dude, if you have not ever heard this band, this band is, uh, it just sounds like a horror filled factory. With hammers just beating on steel plates forever. Yeah, it's like when, uh, when uh, what's his name, Tetsuo the Iron Man, like, just turns into a giant human metal junkyard. <laughs> yeah, and just all he does is just scream and bangs on stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, 
So this band started in 1989 as Ulceration, changed their name, put out a couple records. They put out Soul of a New Machine in 1992, Demanufacture in 1995, but Obsolete came out in 1998, right around the time that bands like Orgy and Korn were starting to pick up steam, right? Mm. So when they, but so they were like, you know, they're described as groove metal sometimes or new metal, but industrial metal is probably the best way to describe them. Um, Apparently, Obsolete is a concept album, and it's a story that can that is all about. Uh, it continues the story where D Manufacture left off because D Manufacture is also a concept album. So Obsolete is about the future of mankind and how machines have taken over humanity. So it's Terminator puts a record. <laughs> Terminator um, the record. A Terminator the record. Uh, and so Terminator it, the Beyond. Yeah, to the build. Um, there's a hero named Edge Crusher that sets out to destroy the machines and save humanity, and um, doesn't doesn't make it. So um, that's kind of what happens. And and the characters are Edge Crusher, Securitron, and Smasher Devourer are the uh, the the people in this. Now it should be a fucking comic book, dude. It sounds like it should be a comic book, but it is not. It is an, uh, a concept album. So going forward, they also put out Digimortal, Archetype, Transgression, Mechanize. The Industrialist and Genexus in 2015 because they are still a band. <laughs> now I listened to Mechani- Mechanized not too long ago. That thing is fucking insane. It is. It is the heaviest album I've ever heard in my life. Now, here's what makes this band scary too. First of all, they're loud. They're obnoxious. They sound like they're banging on a lot of metal. Like they sound like they got all this stuff going on. But what really makes it scary is all the litigation that's going on. Uh, and the reason I brought this up today is actually because the singer Burton C. Bell, who is known for being in the band for all this time, actually just left the band. Because I was gonna say, I just read this on Lambgoat. Yeah, he just left the band because uh, I guess there's some drama going on about like there's a toxic work environment and he was just done. So, um, but there is currently a, an argument that there are two Fear Factory bands. Uh, you've got Christian Old Wolbers and um, and uh, another previous. Uh, musician that was in the band were, are currently still in Fear Factory but Dino Cazares and Burton C. Bell went and started a the Fear Factory and started touring as Fear Factory and there's two Fear Factories out there so it's like this weird um, thing and so basically there's just a bunch of drama around that I guess it's not as scary as it sounds but Obsolete is terrifying when you listen to it so that's my number three go listen to Obsolete if you like um, metal scraping <laughs> I think it was the, the the deluxe version of Demanufacture, like the reissue that they probably did in like the 2000s. But there is an, uh, I believe they cover Your Mistake by Agnostic Front and Freddie Madball does guest vocals on it. With yeah, I believe that. It's badass. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, the, I, I guess between the, like, the, the triumvirate of, of <laughs> fucking kind of new metal bands that everyone in them looks like a transformer that turns into a bulldozer that would be uh, fear factory machine head and propane i think yeah i think fear factory definitely beats the other two out yeah like i feel like i feel like we're for all the for all the stuff that we talk about with like how great how much we like slipknot like i feel like fear factory is like a heavier like i feel like they're heavier and more accessible for like extreme metal heads i guess yeah, yeah. but they still like toe the line i don't know so Fear Factory is good, man. They're fun. Yeah. If you like, if you like horrific machinery death. <laughs> All right. 
for my number three, I'm switching it up a little bit. I've picked a little bit of folklore. Oh. It is that time of the year. And, you know, I, I dig folklore. I dig urban legends. Um, and I dig cryptids a lot. I'm by no means an authority on them, but I find it all massively interesting and entertaining. Now, as a teacher, there are times when if we're on track at school, you know, because you got your curriculum that you got to kind of follow. And blah, but um, the curriculum is always very boring. But that's just how it is, I guess. <laughs> that's what it is. I got no choice in that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> if we're on track, we're ahead of the game. A lot of times I'll take a break with them and uh, we'll read like a Ray Bradbury story. Just talk about it. Um, or, or, you know, I, I remember I did something one time where we did like a little day, uh, lesson activity on Bram Stoker's Dracula, just like, where did the legend of the vampire come from? And around Halloween, I always take one day and we do a sort of a quick lesson on folklore and mythology and how it relates to like modern entertainment, you know, uh, where do you think this movie came from? Where, where, where do you think Thor came from? You know, anything about the Norse gods? Like, you know, we just talk mythology and, and folklore and stuff. And one of the creatures in folklore that I have highlighted before is one of my favorites, the Wendigo. Oh, yeah. So good. And not the, not the Marvel character of the same name. No. And when I, of course, when I, when I do talk, it's, it's just sort of, I mention it in the, in the list of different like cryptids and folklore monsters. And, you know, I got a whole bunch on there from all different cultures and I don't get graphic with it the way that (laughs) I'm about to, (laughs) right. I don't want to freak anybody out or get in trouble, but I do mention it. The kids think it's interesting. So the Wendigo, if you've never heard of it, is a mythological creature or evil spirit there's debate some people think this some people think that and it comes from the folklore of the algonquin tribes that were based in the northern forests of nova scotia on the east coast of canada and in the great lakes region of canada nova scotia nova scotia so the wendigo is sometimes described as a monster with some characteristics of a human And then sometimes it is described as a spirit who possesses a human being and then sort of turns them into a monster. Uh, So there's there's debate whether it's monster or possesses you and makes you a monster. The influence of the Wendigo, whether it's the creature itself or the spirit, is said to invoke acts of murder, insatiable greed, and cannibalism. Yes! Basically... The idea is the Wendigo possesses you, become a cannibal, or the Wendigo touches you, or you see the Wendigo and you become a cannibal. Now, <clears throat> the creature lends its name. Well, didn't we talk about clinical lycanthropy before? Uh, yes, we did. We have talked about clinical lycanthropy. Uh, as a matter of fact, on the other podcast I'm on, we did an entire episode on clinical <laughs> lycanthropy. It's just crazy when like science and medicine will take a cue from folklore. And in this case, <clears throat> there is a modern medical term called Wendigo psychosis, which is described by psychiatrists <laughs> as a culture-bound syndrome. So you're not going to see this in like the middle of New York City, probably. But it's a culture-bound syndrome with symptoms that include an intense craving for human flesh and or fear of becoming a cannibal. You see it in indigenous communities a lot. Um so that to me, the, the fact that it's you could be diagnosed with Wendigo psychosis is is pretty fascinating to me. 
Uh, if you ever get a chance to look up um, culture-bound sicknesses, there are a few that are really cool. Like some Native American tribes suffer from ghost sickness, which is the idea that you've been possessed by your ancestors. And yeah. there are some folks in Southeast Asia that have a – it's called uh, Kiro or Kuro, uh, mm-hmm. where they basically have a fear that their penis is shrinking <laughs> yes, into, their, into their bodies. I was going to say, I remember that one. Yeah. I think there's one – like the female version is they're, they're, um, they think their nipples are disappearing. Uh huh. Or something. It's it's so fucking wild. It's so, awesome. Humans are crazy. Basically, the Wendigo, um, either version, is strongly associated with winter, the North, coldness, famine, and starvation. Which makes me wonder why more black metal bands don't talk about the Wendigo. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, talk about Odin all you want, but let's get this this sort of like human monster cannibal thing worked in. I think it would work very great. Um, so Basil H. Johnson, Johnston, excuse me, who is an worst fucking name, but he's an, uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Ojibwe, Ojibwe, Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario gives a description of the Wendigo. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones with its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets the wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave what lips it had were tattered and bloody unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh the wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption (laughs) so um, it's, it's, I think it's a very interesting creature because it can be a spirit. It can be an actual monster. And where does it appear in popular culture? Well, besides being sort of a culture brown myth and things like that, Pet Cemetery, the book, especially it features the Wendigo. And, and when Lewis Creed is, is carrying his son to the burial ground and he has to sort of cross over into that other plane, it's filled with all kinds of terrible creatures and things that are sort of out there kind of crashing through the woods. And the Wendigo is one of them. And they talk about this idea that if the Wendigo touches you or the Wendigo looks at you, you can then become a cannibal. And apparently the Wendigo is the creature that poisoned the ground that all the pets are buried in because they come back violent and, you know, cannibalistic. And, of course, you bury a human there, same deal. Another one um, is Ravenous, which is a fantastic, extremely black comedy horror film that came out in the late 90s. It's a period piece. Guy Pierce is in it. Fucking David Arquette's in it. But it, it's set in this fortress um, just after, I believe, the Civil War. And the, the war is basically over, but there's still this, this, these outposts. And, the, you know, it takes a long time for word to travel. And these guys are out there. And it's kind of funny and bumbling, kind of a, a weird comedy. Tom York did the, uh, did the soundtrack. It's all, like, weird native instruments. And... What happens oh, that's, is, make, that tracks. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is this this traveler who's starving comes into the camp, and of course he's been sort of afflicted with Wendigo psychosis, and you take it from there. It's very disgusting and gory, but it's also funny and terrifying at the same time. So 
the Wendigo is just one of my favorite folklore legends, uh, you know, cryptids even. Some people do believe that the monster actually exists. Pet Cemetery, Ravenous, two great examples of it. So, check them out. The Wendigo. I like it. <clears throat> I uh, I always thought it was Wendigo. I don't know what it is, but to me, when I say Wendigo, I sound like an asshole, so I just say Wendigo. Yeah, Wendigo's fine. That, I gotcha, I gotcha. Wendigo. <laughs> We're going right, we going right now. Hi, man. It's the devil's playground. <laughs> So, uh, my number two is a series of stories. Now, they are not related, but I like talking about stories that I've read that make me uncomfortable. Uh, I almost included American Psycho on this list because that book has made me so uncomfortable. But I wanted to go with like more of a uh, kind of an outlandish or uh, maybe just kind of a, a story that stories that people don't know exist. Because uh, I feel like people know about American Psycho, but they don't know about these ones. So, my number four, my number two are two books. The first one is a book or a story called I Am Legend. Did you ever read that one? I read it many years ago, and then I watched Will Smith destroy it. Yeah, because that one's that movie sucks. So don't, don't watch great, that one. Though. I, I, yeah. I like his writing a lot. Oh yeah, no. So this, so if you get a chance, the copy I have is um, uh, "I Am Legend" and other stories that it's written, and all of them are great. And then I'm gonna reread them probably this month. So the story picks up where uh, Robert Neville Neville is what appears to be the sole survivor survivor of a some kind of pandemic that kills off humanity, but creates these weird vampire creatures. Um, and so you know they are 100. Um, exactly like you think they are like they're blood sucking they are pale skinned they are uh they avoid sunlight and, and pretty much they are not human beings and so his entire the entire story is set with him kind of like barred into a house uh boarded up and and just like trying to survive going out during the day and trying to find supplies but also murdering vampires in the middle of the day <laughs> And so, uh, as the story goes on, he just gets a little bit crazier and crazier and like more in its head and more alone and starts hearing stuff and, and the vampires are taunting him and calling him through the, 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 you know, the boards they are like, come out, Robert. Like they're like, you know, making him kind of go crazy. They're uh, coming but to get you, Barbara. He, and it's great because the whole story is like, it goes on for so long and so long and so long until you finally find out that like, you know. Robert's actually the villain of the story. Like he's the one killing all these innocent vampires. The 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 vampires are actually not hurting people or doing all these things. It's been rumored, and he's been going crazy all this all this time. So, um, really great way to to kind of put a twist on the story. Um, and just the writing is really great. Like you feel claustrophobic. You feel isolated with him. You feel like you're there with him as he's driving around trying to find gas and breaking into dark houses and murdering people yeah moral of the story take a moment to question your own beliefs before you act on them yeah exactly especially in the next couple of months people let's let's keep it together okay life lessons 
So the other book, uh, I have not read it yet, but just the premise of the story is unsettling to me. And I feel like you would appreciate just how uncomfortable this is. Mm. So it is a short story by Harlan Ellison called I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream. Or I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Oh, yeah. I've never read it, but they made it into like kind of an infamous uh, computer game in the 80s, I believe. Yeah, and it is... No thanks. So, the story goes like this. Okay? It's a post-apocalyptic science-driven, science-fiction-driven thing where um, there are only a few characters because basically in this dystopian future, there are no more humans. There are only about five that are left and they're starving and they're being, um, you know, they're being tortured by this AI uh, who was designed to manage all the weapons of the armies and the troops. And it just goes exactly like you would imagine it went, which is horrible. Um, So the AI was originally called the allied master computer. uh, But then as it got more aggressive, it became uh, the adaptive manipulator and then eventually the aggressive menace. So it's shortened (laughs) by AM and all that. So I haven't read it all, but what I read at the end was basically that the, the main character, um, and his friends are trying to find food because they're starving. And so they think that it's in this this space. They think there's a, a a pile of canned goods because the food they're given by the computer is awful. It's disgusting. And so they're like, there has to be more, but we have to find this food. So they try to find it. They end up, the, the main character kills off his friends so they don't have to suffer anymore. And then the computer turns the last surviving human being on the planet into a giant gelatinous slug with no mouth but retaining all of his memories and all of his consciousness and the last line of the book is i have no mouth and i must scream hey man that's exactly what bill gates and steve jobs are trying to fucking do to us so get the goddamn (laughs) get the goddamn apple watch off your fucking arms people they are cloning you we will be replaced we will be turned into slugs and it, I'm not going to fucking have it, okay? I won't. It's, yeah, I mean, no thanks. But <clears throat> I think what makes this even worse is it's not just that he is, like, turned into this thing and he is, and he can't, like, speak and he re- retains his memories. The computer also makes it so that he uh, lives forever in this state. Um, and also that he, that the computer warps time around him so he has no sense of time. Jesus Christ. That's, yeah. That's probably like the scariest ending to any story ever. Yeah. Oh, also too, I'd like to add that that part of the turning it into a giant slug, uh, turning the person into a giant slug and with no appendages is partly to make sure that he cannot kill himself. So he can't die. Time is warped. He retains all his memories and he remains in anguish forever bummer dude yeah that's my number two i can't wait to read it yeah i've, I've read that story it was great i've never i've never actually read it myself i do have a, a book of richard matheson uh short stories though that i will get to soon i'm finishing the martian chronicles finally but yeah i mean i, I i'm not ready to read this short story or this book by <laughs> harlan um but you know Imagine I, I if it was written now. by Harlan Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a butter stuff. 
Butter nuts. What do you want me to do now, lasagna ass? <laughs> oh, that's a whole different story. Um, can you imagine him as the slug at the end? Oh, God. <laughs> Just a weird, like, those weird eyes that he has. Hey, look at me. You can't tell if I'm coming or going, can you? Oh. <laughs> but you wouldn't be able to hear him because he has no mouth. That's true. Well, okay. <laughs> We're out on a bit of a limb here. Let's turn back. So, All right. For my number two, I've chosen a record, and um, it is called Punk Rock is Dead by none other than Danzig number two, Michael Graves. <laughs> oh, great. Michael Graves, our favorite. Now, we'll actually be talking about Michael Graves, who does spell Michael the wrong way very soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But uh, we're not going to have time to do a full deep dive on him and all his shit because he has a pretty storied career. But I did want to kind of give his solo stuff a little shout out here. So, obviously, Michael Graves, best known for being the second vocalist of the, um, the Misfits. Well, actually, we could just say the vocalist for the second incarnation of the Misfits. Yeah, I think that's 90, fair. 95 to 2000. Um, he sang on two of my favorite Misfits LPs, American Psycho and Famous Monsters. I know Danzig's the goat uh, in more ways than one because he is kind of like the devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's uh, Baphomet. Right, right. And I, I love Danzig Misfits. Earth AD is one of my favorites. Walk Among Us one of my favorites. But I love Graves, too. Now, aside from the Misfits, Graves has done a bunch of bands um, usually of that kind of horror punk bent. So he he did sing for some kind of weird band called the Mopes prior to the Misfits. <laughs> and then uh, after the Misfits, he played in the Lost Boys. He played in Graves uh, with uh-huh. Dr. Chud from the Misfits at that time. He was the drummer for the second incarnation. And then he played another band called Gotham Road. Uh, but in 2005, Graves released a proper solo full length under his own name, Michael Graves, called Punk Rock is dead now obviously if you're a fan of graves misfits i would recommend most of michael graves output um but i think punk rock is dead is sort of like the crown jewel of the catalog it's not as good as american psycho but then some people would say american psycho sucks if you like american psycho it's not as good but is it bad i don't think so so it's got the same like B movie lyrics. It's it's dark, but it's catchy melodic punk. And then you got Graves' uh, silky smooth vocals over everything. But there is there there are no cows. There's none of those on this record, right. which kind of sucks because that that would I mean I guess that would just make it a Misfits record. But so my favorite tracks on Punk Rock Is Dead include the title track, Teenage Monster, Earth versus Spider. Radio Deadly, Dawn of the Dead. Um, great songs. And it's a quick album, too. It's a quick listen. It's only about 20 minutes long. And, huh. uh, you know, I know I know people don't like Graves because he's not Danzig, but you got to always remember, no matter how legendary and talented and awesome Danzig is, he's a fucking asshole. So, well, I was going to say, I don't think that people dislike Graves because he's not Danzig. Well, no, they dislike him because he, is an, he was an outspoken conservative punk. Um, which uh, is, you know, kind of can be kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, but I think it's more so now that he's a proud boy. 
Well, he he's not a proud boy. He tweeted support for the Proud Boys, and everybody screamed at him, and he deleted it. He basically Michael Graves describes himself as a libertarian now. He basically what it was is he was pro war after nine eleven, which I don't think you can blame a lot of people for being pro war after nine eleven. I know that we did the wrong things and it was fucked up, but like you gotta you gotta let people feel a sense of like, look at this shit. You gotta fucking do something about it. And he joined the Marines in the two thousand, so it kind of comes from that. So. I don't give a shit about his political beliefs, <laughs> honestly. Um, I Politics fucking annoy me. Uh, the Proud Boys annoy me. Antifa annoys me. Biden annoys me. Trump annoys me. Fucking Pence. I you are I hate, generally annoyed. I hate Pence the most because he's a fucking asshole, conservative, Christian, evangelical jerk-off. But Kamala Harris annoys me. Every one of these fuckers annoys me. None of them will save us. I'm tired of everybody screaming at each other like, Emray, no, Emray, if we do things my way, it's going to be great. No, if we do things my way, it's going to be great. It's You're supposed to compromise, but Americans are fucking babies. So anyway, I don't give a fuck what Graves believes. I love his voice. As long as he's not Sieg Heilin, I'm good. Okay. So um, punk rock is dead. A great Halloween record, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, the debate's going on right now, so I just <laughs> felt I needed to say something. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, that's all fair. of them. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you actually think these fucking potted plants are going to do anything to to get us out of anything? They don't care. Oh, God. Well, a lot of it's they don't. They're just dumb. If another fucking celebrity tells me, like, register to vote. You gotta vote. (laughs) I'm gonna get a fucking knife. That's what I'm gonna do. (laughs) Yeah, fuck the guns. I need something that's reloadable. Yeah, I'm gonna shoot a knife at somebody. I'm so tired of, like, we need to do this. Let's flip the Senate. You need to vote. Get out there. Get out there. Fucking talk to people. Get out there. Fuck off. Punk Rock is dead. All right. That's a good number two, I think. I'm I think? I haven't I haven't flipped in a while, so. No, it was it was about time. I mean we we had too good a time on that rancid run. <laughs> All right, so my number one, I'm going to read a passage. One crewmate has been replaced by a parasitic shapeshifter. Their goal is to eliminate the rest of the crew before the ship reaches home. The imposter will sabotage the ship, sneak through the vents, deceive and frame others to remain anonymous and kill off the crew. I'm so glad that you already know what this is. (laughs) Dude. I'm on Reddit, man. It's everywhere. And the dude. Kids, dude, the kids, it's all they want to talk about. Because it's fucking brilliant. So my number one is the game Among Us. <laughs> Holy shit. Dude, just today, I was telling kids to put their phones away, and they're like, I'm playing Among Us. I'm like, God damn it. They're drawing have you, the, the spacemen. It's crazy. Have you played it yet? I haven't, but I am going to download it. Please do, because Bob and Jesse are downloading it, and so we're going to have a group of people that we can just fuck with each other. All right, I'll, I'll download it. 
So, if you're not familiar with this game, games like Werewolf are very similar, where you have a group of people, and you some person in that group is identified as the killer, or as the werewolf, and your job as the other people are to try to figure out who the werewolf is. But as the werewolf, or the imposter in this scenario, your job is to convince other people that you're not the imposter. Yeah. Okay? It sounds silly, but... Yeah, but you, you might... You don't want to be sus. You don't want to be sus. You can't be sus. You can't do anything that's sus. When you do things that are sus, you get thrown out. So, um, but my favorite thing is immediately, uh, whether I'm sus or not, just accusing one person. So here's how it works. You're on like a cartoon spaceship and you're these funny little space creatures that like they still, you don't know what they are, but you're running around on the spaceship and your job is to fix tasks on the, the spaceship. Well, while you're doing that, one person is a murderer and will murder you. And when it happens, you don't you're not ready for it cuz you just don't know. You're always kind of like looking out for people and you never want to be alone with one other person uh just because just in case. But every now and again it happens and you get murdered and, and like my reaction is always this. <gasps> every time I am like my word. I do that and I'm like ah and then like when you get murdered, you get to be a ghost and you get to see and you follow the person. So I follow the person I'm like, "Oh, you fucking I wa- I know you do this." And then you watch that person cuz what happens is that you report a dead body. You find a dead body, you report it, and everybody comes together and talks about where the dead body was, who they think did it, and try to get some information. But nobody does it seriously. Like, somebody will call it, and they'll be like, it was you! And it's like, I just I just found it. Or, um, you know, so any, anyway, it's a lot of fun. And I've won, like, four games as the imposter <laughs> because I've convinced everybody to throw other people out of the ship. Because cause that's what happens. When you identify somebody and you're like, they're the imposter, you throw them out of the ship and then they're dead. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen I've seen thousands of memes of it. <laughs> like, Dude. Reddit is, is basically among us. That's what it is. It is. It's so stupid because it's like you don't have to sign up for an account. You can just like – you can just jump on, play it, and just have fun with it and then just leave. Like you can play one game and leave. Um, there's no there's no like thought to it. You just run around and have fun. But it is a fucking blast to be the imposter. I don't understand because like I haven't heard anybody compare it to the thing because that's the plot of the thing. There's somebody who's an imposter. It's somebody's the alien. They should reskin it and do it, do it like uh, the thing, man. You, you could be McCready. So one thing I've learned about this that is insane is that I'm actually really good at this. And as the imposter, I'm fucking unstoppable. Like I convinced somebody <laughs> to throw themselves out one time. I convinced somebody to uh, like I even told them and admitted in one of the chats. I was like, I did it. And they're like, no, we think blue is sus because I was white at the time. Um, but anytime, one of my favorite parts too is you can dress up your characters. So um, it, depending on the day, I'm either wearing like a fried egg on my head. Um, but if I ever get to be the color black, I'm always I always have like the Baphomet devil horns. Um, and it's even better when I'm the imposter because I get to murder people while I have horns. So anyway, that's my number one among us. Well, my number one is not nearly so fun. Okay. I know true crime, like actual murders and disappearances, aren't technically entertainment. Um, And I guess that's like where the push and pull of liking true crime comes from. It's like I'm interested in a fucked up story, but at the same time trying not to act like, oh, this is fucking awesome and glorifying it, you know? 
Right, right. But this story is a true story, and I tell it here because it's this elements kind of the supernatural, but it's super fucking weird, and it's always been very frightening to me. So I thought, why not include it on the Halloween one and one? Yeah, our, I mean, that's a great way to end the episode and leave people with this information. So, so my number one is the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. What kind of hell? What what name is that? I know. Strange name. So this happened on January 2nd, 2000. Zeb Quinn worked at a Walmart in the electronics department in Asheville, North Carolina. He was also big into ROTC. I believe he was still in high school at the time. So he had a plan after he got off work to travel to a town called Leicester. I guess it was close by. With a guy named Robert Jason Owens, who at the time was one of his co-workers, and they were going to go buy a new car. Okay. So they meet up in the Walmart parking lot, and then they drove separately to go look at this new car that Zeb wanted to buy. So there was some surveillance footage from a gas station that clocked them at about 9.15 together purchasing sodas at a convenience store. Now... Here's where things start to get weird. Okay. So Owens, this is all from his account. After they left the gas station where they bought the sodas, Quinn starts signaling for him to pull over, and he does, and Quinn gets out of his car and he says he received a page, which, you know, obviously this is the year 2000, but even 2000, I think I thought pages were pretty much done. Right, right. But he got a page and he needed to return it. He goes and uses a payphone, also an indication that this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. He came back frantic. And Zeb Quinn told Owens, he's like, we got to cancel our plans. And he sped off. And as he speeds off, he rear ends Owens truck. Okay. This is all according to Owens. Okay. Now, a couple hours later, Owens was treated at a hospital for fractured ribs and a head injury. And he said that he sustained those injuries, not when Zeb rear ended him, but in a second car accident that evening well no no accident report for that one right so it's the next day now following afternoon zeb quinn's mother denise vlahakis oh files a missing persons report because zeb never came home so two days after he was last seen the walmart where he was working they get a call And someone who said they were Zeb Quinn said they weren't coming into work because they didn't feel good. But his coworkers were like, that doesn't really sound like him. The phone call was eventually traced back to a Volvo plant where Owens worked as well as working at Walmart. Oh. He admits to the cops once this kind of all breaks open that he did make the phone call, but it was just to do Zeb a favor because... Zeb Quinn phoned him and said, can you please call in sick for me? I don't know why he couldn't do it himself. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Now, the cops, they're now they're looking for the guy, right? During the investigation, they interview this woman named Misty Taylor. And this was kind of like an older woman that Zeb, being kind of like a naive teenager, was romantically interested in. And they had this sort of relationship that wasn't sexual. Right. So leading up to his disappearance... He was talking about her. He was involved with her. He was talking about how she had this abusive boyfriend, Wesley Smith, and this this Wesley Smith guy had threatened Zeb Quinn to stay away from Misty. Now, both Misty Taylor 
and Wesley Smith have denied any involvement in Zeb Quinn's disappearance, and there are no connections between Robert Owens, Misty Taylor, and Wesley Smith. Now, a review of the phone records in this case trace that page that Zeb Quinn received on January 2nd, the night that he disappeared. And it turns out the call to hit the page came from his aunt, a woman named Ina Ustich. Oh. Zeb Quinn was not very friendly with her. They didn't have a lot of contact. And she actually denied making the call, even though it did come from her house. Okay. She said to police she was having dinner at the home of her friend Tamara Taylor, who, coincidentally enough, was Misty Taylor's mother. Oh. The woman that Zeb Quinn was interested in. And Wesley was at that dinner as well, her boyfriend who Zeb said was abusive. Right. Now, the aunt, who's hanging out with these two, later files a police report stating that her house was broken into that evening that Zeb disappeared. Nothing was stolen, but she said a few picture frames were moved around. Kind of strange. Now, here's where the thing that drew me in and kind of scared the shit out of me the first time I heard it, because it was so weird. It's just so strange. Well, it's already so strange. Like, I'm already sucked in. Well, four days after Zeb Quinn disappears, no, no one, no one. It seems like there's all these people who are kind of like, I don't know what happened, but it's like, well, Aunt uh, Ina, why did you call him? And Robert, why did you place that call to Walmart saying that he was sick? I mean, what what's going on here? Obviously, there's something, but you can't pin it down. So four right. days later, on January six, two thousand, um, Zeb's mother. Denise Vlahakis receives a phone call. She's a nurse, and she gets a call from one of her coworkers at the Asheville hospital that she worked at. And uh, the, the, the actual person who called her, her coworker, is a former classmate of Zeb Quinn. And okay. she said, Zeb's Mazda protege is sitting in the parking lot of the barbecue restaurant right next door to the hospital. So, obviously, her kid's been gone four days. She freaks out. The police get there, and the police examine the car, and this is what they find. The car was on in the daytime with its headlights on. I'm not the car was on. The headlights were on in the daytime. Okay. A uh, a pair of lips with an exclamation mark next to them were drawn in lipstick on the car's back windshield. Oh. Inside was a live black Labrador mix puppy and a plastic hotel key card. This sounds like an escape room. I know. It sounds like something you'd find in Silent Hill. Like, it's just, it's very strange. They try to trace the hotel key card and nothing ever came of it. They couldn't pinpoint where it was actually from. Now, the puppy, of course was adopted by one of the investigators. So the puppy's fine. Everybody just okay, stop freaking good. out. The dog's good. fine. Except Whew. this was 20 years ago, so the dog's dead now. So. <laughs> but we'll say it died in, in the loving embrace of its owner of natural causes, and it never wanted for a thing. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks for that. Now, after this car was found, a couple later called local police to report that they had seen Zeb's car being driven in downtown Asheville after... 
he was he disappeared but before it was discovered and the cops got a composite image of the person driving the car from this couple and it looked a lot like misty taylor the woman that zeb was interested in oh now for 15 years nobody knows what the fuck happened right on march 17th 2015 Robert Jason Owens, he made the call for Zeb calling in sick. He was with him the night that he disappeared. He got in two car accidents that night, had some fractured ribs. Wonder what that was about. He was arrested in an unrelated incident for the disappearance and murder of a Food Network star contestant, Christy Schoen, and her husband, J.T. Codd, and their unborn child, unfortunately. Oh, God. So she was actually on the uh, Food Network star. It was a competition show, which uh, coincidentally enough ties back into our opening. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny how that all synchronicity. But okay. So she was eliminated pretty quickly, but um, you know, she was known from TV a little bit and she disappeared. And later Owens was picked up in conjunction with the disappearance connection with the disappearance. And he admitted to killing Christy, her husband, and, you know, she was pregnant at the time. But he said that he accidentally ran them over. This guy's got a lot of problems with car accidents. He should stop driving. Exactly. And so he pleads guilty because he disposed of the bodies, so he dismembered them. So he pleaded guilty to that. And uh, basically the the district attorney at the time, or excuse me, the, the judge presiding over his case, sentenced him to between 60 and 75 years in prison without the possibility of parole. So Robert Jason Owens killed somebody before he's disposed of somebody before now that same year detectives who were, I mean, Zeb Quinn's still an open case, but it's cold. You know, they, they decide to, they get a warrant to investigate Robert Jason uh, Owens' property, and they unearthed fabric, leather materials, and unknown hard fragments under some concrete on his property. Ooh. Now, there was some sort of unknown powder substance. There were pieces of metal and concrete. It looked like something had been broken and buried. Um, It looked also on another part of the property. They found numerous plastic bags containing possibly pulverized lime or powdered mortar mix they don't know if the bags contained human bones but zeb's case is still open now he was in robert jason owens was charged in 2017 with first degree murder for the death of zeb quinn but there are no details available to the public at this time so we don't know actually what the fuck happened that night we don't know where he is and he's been charged but he's not pleading guilty as far as i know at this point so we don't know what the fuck happened with the car and why there were lips and an exclamation point drawn on it why there was a dog inside why was there a hotel key card why did he go with him to buy a car and, and the kid hits him. Where did this page come from that made him actually drive away frantically, hit the dude, and then and then he gets in another car accident that same night? It's so weird and freaky to me. Like, if I saw lips drawn on the back of my car without any explanation, I would be fucking terrified. I don't know why 
it's just it's such a innocuous thing but it seems loaded with horrible undertones i don't get yeah it. it's i mean it's um <clears throat> It's the horror of the unknown, like yeah. what it could mean, like, and that just is where your imagination goes wild. But yeah, it's that's bizarre. Like, I don't, I don't like that story. I know it's a very bizarre case. I mean, that when I read about it a long time ago when they found the car, and I was just like, that is so fucking strange. And, yeah, you know, you got this this woman that he likes and her abusive boyfriend. You got this weird friend that, and they're saying like, oh, these people don't know each other, but. It seems like they must have. She's she was spotted possibly driving his car. I don't right. know. I'm very interested in seeing what happens. Uh, Owens is still waiting trial uh, as of this year, and they haven't set the trial date. I'm sure coronavirus had something to do with that. But well, I mean, they for them to charge him, they had to, they have to have enough. Yeah, they got to have something. I mean, it's not just conjecture, but I want to know what it is. I want to understand what the significance of the lips and the dog and the key card are, because it seems like something that you would come upon in like an RPG or a survival horror game. And you would have to figure the hints out to get you further down the road. Right. It's, that's the ink ribbon. So you can type in resident evil. (laughs) Yeah. Very strange case. The disappearance of Zeb Quinn. I I would say, keep your eyes open because I I would really, I really want to know how it ends. I want to know what Owens actually did. If he did anything. Yeah. Hopefully we find out in our lifetime. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. All right. Whew. All right. So then that's uh, that's it. So let's do our countdowns. Yep. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Number five, New Mutants. Trap your mortal enemies in hell with your mutant powers. Number four, The Cramps. I dig that goddamn rock and roll, that kind of stuff that don't save souls. Number three, Fear Factory, obsolete. Their drummer is a machine that enslaves humanity. <laughs> Number two, I have no mouth, but I'm a scream. And I am legend. Mm-hmm. And number one, Among Us. Don't be sus, it's always yellow. <laughs> All right. Number five, Halloween Kills. Faster, Michael. Kill, kill. Number four, Bo is dead. You're fucked, pal. Number three, the Wendigo. Eat to live. Don't live to eat. Number two, <laughs> Punk Rock is dead by Michael Graves. You're never going to get me because you're all frauds. Punk Rock is dead and I'm Punk Rock. Number one, the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. Moral of the story, don't ever get a job at Walmart. And if you do, do not become friends with any of your coworkers. <laughs> That's it. That's the story. Seriously. I never I, once ever considered working there. You know, even when I was looking for a job when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I was like, no fast food, no fucking Walmart. Not happening. Yeah, never. And here we are. And you're alive. And, and Zeb Quinn is not. <laughs> I had standards. You know, my That's sympathies it. to Mr. Quinn, but. Those are good lists. It's a good way to kick off the the horror stuff spooky. this week. The spooky, scary. Um, it's it's a good way to kick off our werewolf bar mitzvah. So let's shout out the Patreons. Yep. Michael Osborne, Sam Parnum, Laura Crosby, Kate Neal, Amelia Andrews, Matthew Fisher, Jessica Crane, and Mario Cipriano. Thank you. Thank you, guys. 
Yeah, and if you have spooky, scary horror stuff that you want to send in and uh, and and let us feature on the show, we are all about that because our because next episodes are going to be fun. But uh, we we definitely like participation. Yeah, yeah. Send us some scary stories, uh, some paranormal happenings. We'd love to do that. Yeah, that'd be rad. So, um, all right. So I don't have any announcements. So do you have anything you need to add? I don't. All right. So if you need to reach out to us, find us on Instagram at I don't want to hear it podcast. Find us on Twitter at IDWHI podcast. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook at I don't want to hear it podcast. Make sure there's an apostrophe. If you want to email us, email us at oldpunksvstheworld at gmail.com. If you want to check out our publishing website and our publishing company, we are at wndpress.com. And we also have an email, which is wndpress at gmail.com. And if you go to our website, I don't want to hear a podcast.com, you can click the link. It came from the beach to get a deep dive into all of our many musical endeavors over the years. Please check the episode description for helpful links and fun stuff, including... Uh, links to Absent Friends, We're Not Dead, and Years From Now, some of our better bands over mm-hmm. there on Spotify. So, yeah, that is going to do it for us this week, and we will be back next week with a very spooky, mm-hmm. fun, bloody, gory episode. So until then... Annihilate this week. And good night, Taco Bell Joe, wherever you are. All right, bye! Bye! Bye!